Hey everyone, this is Mike Baltiera of Mike Baltiera Photography and today I'm going to be doing my first podcast. My first guest is going to be my good friend, mentor, and my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coach, Black Belt James Foster. James Foster, I've trained with him since 2008. He is a Black Belt under Jiva Santana of One Jiu-Jitsu and he is also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt World Champion. You may ask, okay, well, if you're a photographer, why are you picking a guy who teaches jujitsu to be your first guest? Well, basically what it boils down to is that James, though he is a great competitor, he is a great practitioner of the art of Brazilian jujitsu, he runs a very successful academy here just outside of Seattle, Washington. When I first met James, he only had a couple hundred students at the most, I'm guessing, but he's been able to grow his student base continuously over the last 10 years, so much so that he had to get a brand new facility or rent out a larger facility to accommodate his, his growth of his student base. Along the way, I've been able to talk to him about how have you grown your business? What have you done to maintain good relationships, both with your students and also with the other academies in the area? Because he's got a really good relationship with those who are like in the Gracie Baja system, for example, and how he's able to get and establish relationships with brands such as Show Your Role, uh, 20, Mission 22, and so on. As well as being able to build his brand and to also be one of the more better personalities online through social media in regards to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I was able to talk James into, I was able to ask James if he wanted to be my first guest. And he was able to say yes without any hesitation. So without further ado, here's podcast number one with my good friend and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion and black belt, James Foster. All right, so I am Michael Baltier. I'm here with my friend and Jiu-Jitsu coach, James Foster. Uh, James and I first met almost 10 years ago, believe Holy it or not. Um, he is the owner and the lead instructor here at Foster Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit, please. Awesome. Well, it's great to be on Mike's podcast. I appreciate you having me on. Sure. It's an honor for me that you would you know, even want me on your podcast. So I really appreciate it. Uh, my name's James Foster. My nickname's 300 because of the beard. Normally it's more groomed out and has that Leonidas shape to it, but right now it's just, you know, I'm preparing for winter. It's been real cold, so it's it's growing out. Um, I've been here teaching jiu-jitsu since 2003, um, and I'm a black belt, third degree black belt under Professor Jiva Santana under one jiu-jitsu. So it's a great, uh, journey that I've been on so over uh, over 30 years of martial arts now I just turned 40 started martial arts when I was 10 um, and over 21 years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu now I first came to James um, spring of 2008 as a blue belt from California and he just recently gave me my black belt in February of 2016 so sadly this year I took some time off because I've been pretty broken from other stuff that's been going on in my life whether it was prior service stuff or rugby and jujitsu and just I also needed to take some time off to mentally heal myself because my son Zach had cancer and uh, so this past year wasn't the greatest fortunately um, most people will tell you then the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community um, 
and I'm sure you can attest to this, it's even though we're small, we're still large, but we all treat each other as family yes. and as best friends. Yeah, and everybody comes together whenever whenever somebody needs help, it's amazing to see how the jiu-jitsu community comes together and, and you know pulls everybody together for a cause and helps one another. Uh, we saw that in uh, Zach's case and, and on many other occasions. Sure. So it's a very beautiful thing about our martial art, for sure. So um, I know why you started jiu-jitsu. A lot of people may not know. So um, from what I gather, from what I remember, is you were a student of other instructors from affiliations um, that seemed to have gone away and you had to take it upon yourself to start teaching and to keep jujitsu alive. Yeah, basically. yeah. So, so can you can you go a little bit absolutely. Detail about that? So for me personally, you know, I got into karate when I was 10 and uh, I'd always been into martial arts movies and things and, and always wanted to do martial arts. I was never into any other sports or anything that never interested me. But I remember begging my parents uh, to get me into martial arts and was actually after uh, Karate Kid came out. Sure. They saw the Karate Kid and they decided to go ahead and, and start researching and find somewhere for me to train. Sure. So I started karate at 10 and uh, man, I did karate for almost 10 years. So right around nine years uh, was the cutoff point. And that was a few years after the first UFC came out. Sure. And we all saw Hoist Gracie um, get in there and do his thing and uh, myself and, and a few other black belts uh, under the karate school kind of took it upon ourselves to try to reverse engineer what we were seeing him sure. do uh, and the motto at the old karate school back at that time was if it works we use it so sure. we would do things that weren't just from karate we would do stuff from all other styles so we were trying to learn what he was doing how to do the Ezekiel choke and arm bar and the things that we saw, we were trying to reverse engineer. And uh, it came to a point where, you know, we were all kind of growing to the extent that we could with learning it on our own. And I decided I wanted to branch out and, and learn more. Sure. Um, my initial idea, because I was also instructing at the karate school was, hey guys, if it works, we use it, you know, hey, I'll pay to go learn some jiu-jitsu. And I'll bring it back here as well so we can, you know, round out our game with, with more groundwork. Sure. And unfortunately, at that time, the, the ownership that was in place, they weren't too keen on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and basically told me, um, you know, you have to choose either training here or training in Jiu-Jitsu. Sure. Um, and I like to joke and say it's the best uh, decision I've ever been forced into making. Okay like the best decision that sure. was ever made for me right because at the time yeah it was sad that was my family but mm. um, look where I'm at now and sure. I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go back and change that decision um, it was hard and, and I had to think it over a lot but I made the switch to jiu-jitsu um, and I officially started training in DJJ in 1996. Sure. So I've been dabbling for a few years prior to that, but it wasn't formal training. And I learned more in the first week of formal training than I think we had in those few years of trying to reverse engineer things. Sure. Um, and then, you know, down the road, we came to a point where uh, jujitsu was very sparse here in Washington State, and schools would open, but they'd only be open for 
maybe a year at most and then something would happen where it would shut down or change ownership so you never really got to be under one instructor for an extended uh, extended period of time and there came a point where the academy that I was training at I was already driving an hour and a half each direction to sure. train I was doing uh, five days a week you know three hour round trip to train and they moved even further away to where it would have been like over two hours each way for me to get there. Sure. Um, I was a purple belt at the time and, and I and I didn't know what I was gonna do. I, I said, man, you know, guys, I can't, I can't follow you up here, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we figured, you know, the owner said, well, we figured we'd, we'd lose some people if we moved and, you know, sorry, but it's what we gotta do. So sure. um, at that time, I really didn't know what I was gonna do and, uh, I think a few months later, the new ownership of the old karate school that I used to train at got a hold of me and said, hey, we got some guys uh, getting into doing this MMA stuff. Sure. And they do great on the feet, but when they get put on the ground, they're getting tapped out. You know, could you come here a, a day or two a week and maybe show a little jujitsu techniques? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, I'll give back, you know, to where I came from. Sure. And, and I started going there like once or twice a week and, and teaching their their karate black belts some of the jiu-jitsu. So in a roundabout way, I did come back and, and start sharing jiu-jitsu with those people. Okay. And it just started to snowball where more and more people became interested. And, you know, I was just doing it for free, giving back. And then it was like, well, how much, how much does it cost? Said, oh, you know. 30 bucks or whatever <laughs> and started to you know started to get a, a student base and it became uh to where we ended up needing more space and the and the karate facility had opened another location in auburn mm -hmm. where they had two uh nice size areas split between um and they allowed me to put wrestling mats in the one side and okay. to run my jiu-jitsu classes a few days a week out of there so we were there for a few years and, and grew the academy to where I had enough of a student base that I could go out and find my own location and and uh, step out onto my own. Uh, and that was in 2007, yeah. And that's the school we met at, correct? That's the, the school we met at, yep, directly across the valley okay. from here. So that's kind of how it all came to be, you know. I didn't really intend to um, be teaching jiu-jitsu as a purple belt, I was always under the um, notion or, or the assumption that you should be a black belt uh, before you start teaching mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of these things, but uh, it wasn't a choice, it was kind of a situation that I ended up in and uh, I grew a lot from it and, and I learned a lot about teaching and uh, I, I honestly think it made my jiu-jitsu better. Sure. Um, teaching because when you teach jujitsu you start to uh, take ownership of it and you start um, becoming accountable to yourself because you're like man I'm telling them to do it this way but I just realize I don't do it that way so it keeps you very honest with your jujitsu sure. making sure that you're applying the principles and in, in doing the techniques the way you're telling others they should be done so the reason why I asked you to be my first guest is because you and I have talked business in the past. Correct. Um, so people may look at this and say, well, what's a photographer dude who does jujitsu right. talking to a jujitsu instructor and 
a school owner, why? What's the, where's the correlation? So, right. So my my takeaway, or my takeaway from this conversation, hopefully from not only myself but everybody who may watch this, is you know the business aspect of stuff. Because some people, like myself, I've been wanting to go out on my own for a long time and yes. try and do my own digital stuff. Yeah. But it's always been like, well, I really can't do it because I got people to take care of. Where am I going to get money from? Right. How am I going to get startup funds? Um, I'm sure you had those same concerns as well when you first started. I did. And, and I if did. you don't mind, can you talk about some yeah, of your concerns and absolutely. your startup? Yep. When I was first teaching jujitsu, I was still working my other job. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, at, at one of the points uh, before I started teaching uh, within the karate school in Auburn, I was uh, working two jobs in training jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up when I started running my program out of the karate school to where I, I still kept my one peer, uh, one part-time job at Pierce College, uh, running the multimedia department, mm-hmm. kind of two diverse different sure. things, running multimedia and then teaching jiu-jitsu. Uh, but I was still doing that. Um, and for me, making that jump into doing this full-time was a very scary, big decision. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I think the number one peop- the one number one thing people need to uh, do is be patient. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have gone out and gotten a big business loan or done something like that and rushed into things, but I spent the three years teaching under the roof of the karate school with a with a pretty good deal. You know, getting giving them a small percentage of what I was making, mm-hmm. but not having to pay rent and not having overhead and all these things, which. Sure allowed me to to keep my expenses down but still build my student base up so i was able to build my student base to a point that when i did open my own location i didn't have to put a a ton of expenses into it i was able to afford it from my savings Mm -hmm. and not have to take out a loan not have to max out credit cards and all of those things so um that portion of it, I feel, is very important to make sure that you're not rushing into something. Um, a lot of people think it's just as simple as, you know, renting a space and getting some mats and having somebody to teach class. But um, it's kind of like that uh, the meme with the iceberg. It's what everybody sees is the the tip of the iceberg that's above the water, and everything that went into it is all that giant iceberg underneath. Right. So uh, it takes a lot more to do this than, than people realize. Sure. It's, not a, it's not as simple as just showing up and teaching class. Sure. That's the easiest part, but that's not what uh, makes the business successful. Sure. So I think it's very important for, for everybody to kind of take a step back and say, am I willing to take the time to do this right? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to just jump in and, and wing it? Sure. So when I was moving, getting ready to move up here, um, and before social media completely exploded to where it is today. Right. Um, there was the SureDog forums. Yeah, there yeah. was MySpace that were where people got their MMA jujitsu information yeah. from. And so my question to, to back then was, who can I find in the Seattle area that I can go train with? Right. And I remember we we initially met in passing at Pan Am. Yeah. And I met Rick and I yeah. met Todd and Bourgeois and Calvo yeah, down yeah. there. And, but didn't quite know that they were training with you at the yeah, time. Yeah, didn't make the and correlation. So, right, and so yeah. everybody's like, oh, if you're gonna go to the Seattle area, you gotta go train with Foster. Right. So I went to the other schools, 
And what made this place stand out, in my opinion, was right when you walk in the door, you feel accepted. And that was there was like this vibe that I, could, yes. I can't I can't really yeah. explain. And it's very hard to put into words. So, what makes you, in your opinion, different from everybody else? Because everybody, I mean. The great thing about Washington State is everybody gets along up here. And, and there's a lot of great schools, right? right? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of that little that little X factor, you know. It's that kind of a, a thing you can't put into words. I think it comes from, you know, um, holding everybody to the same, uh, treating everybody on the same level, mm -hmm. no matter if they're the brand new person or there's somebody who's a professional fighter or a professional jujitsu athlete. Right. Um, the fact that everybody here is trying to bring everybody up and help everybody to grow um, they're not just taking it to the new guy they're they're slowing him down and saying hey here's here's what you need to work on or here's how I'm catching you right that's an important one because if I help the the new guy get better to where I can't catch him in that technique again I have to evolve too right and it's the old uh, adage of iron sharpening iron um, and, and you know I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't see of uh, quality control and making sure. sure that the right type of individuals are here so it keeps this atmosphere the way that it is. So uh, sometimes that involves turning people away that want to train, sometimes it involves um, having uncomfortable talks with people, making sure, sure that, that things continue to, to uh, run right and to maintain the vibe that we've worked so hard sure. for here. Um, I think communication is a big one. You know, communication is, is, is king. It's sure. like you have to be willing to have conversations, have open communication. And uh, if you catch wind of something within your facility that that's an issue, you have to address it. You sure. can't just bury your head in the sand and, and avoid that little uncomfortable uh, confrontation or conflict. Sure. You have to, you have to be clear. That's why we have such a good relationship with all the local academies is sure. because over the years, anything I heard or, or if there was a problem, I talked to the person and, and we made sure that we, we cleared the air and, and we're straight on everything. Um, I see it a lot where people want to avoid that and uh, it's very important. You can have that brief five to ten minute uncomfortable uh, conversation and avoid years worth of problems sure or you can bury your head in the sand and then deal with all those years worth of problems sure. um, sadly a lot of people choose the bury the head in the sand approach um, head instructors a lot of times they don't want to deal with sure. the, the drama uh, and it's like i always say it all comes down from the top so you know it has to the message from me has to be clear to everybody um, and then even above me, you know, Professor Jiva, we're representing him. So we try to make sure that, that everybody is treated well in here and, and that we address any issues that may come up. Now, sure. with that said, thankfully, you know, issues are pretty few and far between because I think it's pretty clear when people train here, um, it's made clear that they know what's expected of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think one mm -hmm. of the elements that um, I can't speak to the local academies, but things I'll see traveling around and training at other academies is a lack of structure mm -hmm. and a lack of having uh, some basic etiquette and a code of conduct and guidelines in place 
um, to where people are held accountable and, sure. and know what's expected of them, and, and that they are they are addressed if if they are getting out of line with those things. So, I think it's important to have a balance between um, not being overly traditional but having some structure as well so it's a fine line you know to make it to where you have that i think we strike a balance here that is pretty unique from what i've seen sure. and i think that contributes to the the vibe that you felt when you first came in and how you felt welcomed and and like things here sure. going back to the social media aspect of it when you and i talked at one point about how you built or you were able to grow your student base right. through social media. Um, you talked about adverts, advertising, yeah. as well as you know just being very mindful and picking which words to you know that you're gonna post online, right. so you don't sound like you're coming off as cocky yeah, or, or you're yeah. not belittling anybody. But exactly. how did you use social media to actually build your brand? Because I remember we were uh, at one point in time there was. It seemed pretty stagnant. Mm -hmm. That's just my perspective. Yeah, it was. And then after Omar French, hey, yeah. came up with the whole three hundred thing for your seminar. Yeah, it just blew up after that. Yeah, and actually Ari came up with the nickname three hundred, but they had the they had the everybody like picked up on it and it <laughs> it took off. Um, even uh, well, going back like but even before social media. Um, I always made sure my website was was very nice and mm -hmm. came up high in the rankings. Uh, back in the day, you could do some hard, you know, uh, f f hard work and in, in networking and getting cross links with people on different sites like the forums you were talking about. And stuff you get them to put your link on there. You know that used to be how you kind of got your uh, web rankings sure. up. And our website always came up uh, very high when somebody did do a search for jujitsu in the area. And that's very important because 99% of people that come in is from the website or, or social media. Um, with the social media and, and the branding, uh, really with social media, the, the key is consistency sure. and making sure that you're putting out quality content on a regular basis. Uh, I think people will, will start to get into the social media and then kind of fall off. Okay. Um, literally, if you're a, if you're a serious business and you, and you want to get your name out there and you want to create a following, you need to be posting like on your social media at least two to three times a day okay. and always having something out there for people to see, whether that's something they're interacting with or you know something to do with your business or if you're running a, a little promotion or something there should always be seeing that content um, a lot of times something you have to get it uh, in front of their eyes several times before people will actually react to it or take action um, you can't just post you know once every three or four days and expect to build that momentum sure. uh, so it has to be consistent just like we talk about having consistency in jiu-jitsu and making sure you're you're making your classes each week and mm -hmm. everything social media is the same way you gotta you gotta be on there um, I'm on my phone a lot like making sure that I'm interacting making sure I'm posting uh, relevant things sure. for here whether that be an upcoming seminar or whatever mm -hmm. it may be so I think it's uh, it's a it's an overlooked thing because it's it, it takes time 
it can be hard to learn how to do it right. Mm -hmm. To which I would say, hire somebody to handle your so your social media. Sure. If you're not comfortable doing it and you're not able to be consistent and regular with it, it's worth the money. The return on investment would be great. Okay. So it's worth it to have somebody help you dial in your social media. All right, so when it came time to open the school, you know, get your momentum going, grow your student base. Um, who did you look to for leadership or mentorship? Because I know from my perspective, as well as everybody else who is under your flag, so mm -hmm. to speak, when people ask, what's James Foster all about? Because they know of you as your online persona. Right. They know you as a black belt world champion. Right. They know you as a ambassador to multiple brands. But they also say he's a great businessman, he's a great friend, and a great mentor. Right. Where did you go to get those traits, and who did you look up to when you were first getting established? So, I've been very blessed since the beginning, um, since even before I officially started training jiu-jitsu back here in, in Washington State, I became uh, close friends with Alan Moeller okay. uh, down in Dallas, Texas, with sure. Moeller Jiu-Jitsu. Um, when I was still training at the karate school, I actually was on, uh, my dad was on a business uh, training trip in Texas and he had seen, he knew I was interested in jiu-jitsu and on his prior trip he had seen a Brazilian jiu-jitsu sign in the, in the window of a martial arts school down there that was near his hotel. Mm -hmm. So when he came back, he told me about it, he said, next time I, I go on another training down there, I'm gonna take you with me and he's like I went in and talked to this Alan Moeller guy who's real nice and said to bring you down you could train you know during the week that I'm down there for my next training so that ended up happening and I actually went down and trained the whole week with uh, with Alan Moeller and we became close friends we've been best friends ever since awesome. all these years I mean that was probably 95 or 96 um, and that really cemented my my decision that I wanted to branch off and, and switch to BJJ. That was like the the catalyst because I learned so much in that week training there. And uh, Alan took me under his wing and and treated me like like gold. I mean nice. he always has. Uh, I remember one of my pictures I have with him from way back then, uh, like when I was a blue belt, like probably the second or third time I went down and trained with him. Mm -hmm. uh, it says, you know, to the next world champion on there, which he's believed in me since the beginning that I had the ability to achieve great things. Sure. Um, and he's the one who I've patterned uh, all of my, my business model and things after his advice. And when I was starting my academy, asking him questions, how, how he would do things, he's been my number one mentor uh, for my business without him. Uh, I can't say that this would be as, as successful as it is. So I, I have a great deal of respect for Alan and, and really look up to him. I think it's important for everybody to find a mentor like that. Um, if you could be as blessed as me to find a mentor like that to help you along the way, you're gonna achieve great things. Um, and mentors help to motivate you and, and keep pushing you because it can be easy to get complacent when things do start going good. Right. And Alan's always been there kind of like 
you know, tease each other like, oh, I signed up this many people this month. How many have you signed up? And give me that motivation sure. to like try to top what he's doing, you know, you try to want. try to make my school gotcha. as successful or more successful than his. You know, just gen gentle uh, little reminders and, and motivation and, and always there for advice. Anytime sure. I've, I've sought counsel, he's always been there for me and helped me. Um, and then it's, aside from the, the business aspect, of course, amazing jiu-jitsu instructor, learned a ton from him about mm -hmm. how to teach, uh, making sure you're including the proper details when you're instructing and all of these different things that are often overlooked. Um, not just telling somebody to do something without being able to explain the why. Sure. You know, telling somebody grip here, but then not being able to tell them why they need to do that. You know, being able to really go deep into those details, he always stressed the importance of that to me. Um, and then also when I was in karate, I had an instructor named Paul Greystone, who, who uh, I think I gleaned a lot of uh, things from him as far as how to carry yourself as a martial arts instructor. And, and he really instilled a lot of the principles of the honor and integrity and respect and all of that. So I... I took from both of those gentlemen and then, of course, Professor Jiva, my, my Professor Jiva Santana, um, not only as, a, as a, an example of a great jiu-jitsu competitor and instructor, but also just the guy is an amazing human being. He's a very special person. Uh, I think that outshines his, even his amazing accomplishments. He's just one of the best people you'll ever meet. So. I've taken a lot of lessons from him. I've learned a ton from him as well. And uh, he's right up there. All of those people are, uh, I would say, equal influences on me and, and all people I consider to be uh, great mentors that have helped me get to the point that I'm at now. Awesome. So when it comes to um, a lot of people, no matter what field or expertise they are in try to be brand ambassadors right so for you um, I know we've talked about sponsorships in the past yeah um, when it came time for you to seek out sponsorships um, and as well I'm, I'm only asking because I know lots of people in the photography community for example are trying to be like a black rapid ambassador yeah. that they make a certain amount of straps right for right or um, Manfrotto which makes Accessories and whatnot. Right. Um, we. I know you're sponsored by Show Your Roll. Right. Um, what I, is it? I don't know how you could tell. Right. I mean. <laughs> so when it when it comes time to eventually try and get sponsorship, yeah. um, what's the one piece of advice you can give the people? Because they're like, oh, I've I've won a bunch of tournaments. I should be sponsored. Yeah. But I know that you and I both know it doesn't work that way. No. And, I, and the thing I always tell people regarding sponsorships is it's a two-way street. Um, it can't just be about you wanting free stuff. Um, it needs to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Right. Um, of course, it's cool to get free gear and all these things, and, and that's, that's uh, you know something that a lot of people go for, but really it should be about what you can do for the brand uh, just as much as what they can do for you. So you have to be able to show them how sponsoring or, or being an uh, ambassador, how that is beneficial for them. You know, um, for some, as far as the jiu-jitsu community, that may be going out winning competitions or uh, 
teaching seminars, getting exposure that way, posting on social media, all of these different things. Um, personally, for me with Show Your Roll, it's because I like their product and I and I highly respect the people behind the brand. Sure. Um, to me, having quality individuals behind the brand that you're representing is first and foremost for me. So I've dropped other sponsors because I didn't like how the the ownership or people behind the brand were were operating or the types of individuals they were. So to me, it's more important that I represent quality people first and foremost. And if the gear happens to be great uh, on top of that, it's a bonus, right? Um, but I think it's important to understand that you need to seek out um, brands that you believe in and you need to provide something in return to them that makes it make sense from a business standpoint for them to uh, throw some product your way sure. and, and, and put their name on you. Um, and along with that comes making sure that you're carrying yourself the right way and, and uh, you know, being a quality person and not going out and doing bad things while sure. you're wearing their stuff. Um, for me personally, with Show Your Roll, how I got the sponsorship was I helped uh, Bear get some promotion for one of the geese that was coming out. I, I used to run a blog where I would review different products. I'd done like uh, Keith Owen and Stefan Kesting's instructional DVDs. Sure. I'd done reviews for them and shared it and everything and, and uh, helped them out because they're quality people uh, who, who I believed in. And then I, I started hearing about Show Your Roll. I started seeing how nice the geese looked. And and uh, I remember I, I reached out to Bear and I offered to do a review of one of the geese. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he mailed me a gee to try. And I tried the gee. And, man, it fit me better than any gee that I'd ever worn. Sure. You know, as well as me, being a big guy, a lot of times, they put too much material, it's not as fitted. Mm -hmm. Show your old fit me out of the bag like like a perfectly tailored suit. So I was like, man, I've never had a gi fit me like this. It's so comfortable. Um, did my review, started to, to collect some show your rolls and I reached out to Bear and I, and I, you know, I said, I really believe in what you guys are doing and in and, and, and the mission that you're on and I would like to uh, hopefully be sponsored by you guys one day and he said oh yeah we can definitely talk nice. about that and that was probably a year after that even that, that it officially uh, started as far as being a sponsored athlete and myself and, and uh, Pete Wilhelm to my knowledge from what I heard were the first two um, athletes that they went out and, and reached out and sponsored so I feel honored to be among the first couple people, obviously Pete Wilhelm, great friend of mine mm -hmm. and uh, a, a great person. So the fact that both of us were, were picked up by them and, and continue to represent that brand to, the, to this day means the world to me. Awesome. All right. So in regards to um, jujitsu affecting your overall quality of life and your daily routines, um, explain to me, I, I personally know how you know, jujitsu has affected me. Right. Um, helping me deal with stress and dealing with events in my life that 
other people would probably not be able to handle right. so gracefully. Jiu-Jitsu, what does what it has it done for you in regards to your relationships with friends, family, whomever? Um, Jiu-Jitsu has allowed me to maintain maintain calm under pressure and dealing with stressful situations and adversities and and just all the different things that life can throw at me um, when you when you start learning how to survive in, in jiu-jitsu you start becoming uh, very good at taking a step back from things and and realizing what what's going to harm you and, and what things you can handle uh, so i think it's helped me really uh, recognize when something's an actual problem versus just worrying about something that's trivial. Sure. Um, so that's a big one. I think uh, humility is a big thing because jiu-jitsu very much humbles you, as you know. Um, you could be a tough guy and, and go into a school somewhere and have a 115-pound girl tap you out. Sure. Um, that's a, a very humbling experience. You know, most, most of us as men... Uh, whether we're a successful CEO or whatever walk of life we're from, uh, every now and again it's good. It's good to get a reality check and sure. be taken down a pig peg to realize you're not uh, as much hot stuff as you think you are. Sure. Um, so I think jujitsu definitely has helped provide a lot of perspective in my life and uh, given me the ability to deal with a lot of different things that normally I wouldn't be able to handle with as much calm and as much patience. Sure. Uh, it's taught me a lot, a lot about patience, um, whether that be through teaching jujitsu and helping somebody who uh, maybe isn't understanding something you're showing them, or just patience in your own development and journey in your game when you're not making as much progress as you mm -hmm. think you should. All of these principles from jujitsu can be taken and applied to our everyday lives it's just a matter if you're able to recognize that correlation or not okay. but you know you were talking about you know the the smaller person tapping the bigger person uh, and being humble um one of the things we always talk about in jiu-jitsu it's not losing it's learning right and so for me personally i know that if i get caught by whomever it doesn't matter who they are whether it's a white belt blue belt doesn't matter mm -hmm. um what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? I kind of have to go back and analyze exactly what exactly where I made my mistakes. Yep. The same thing can be attributed to other facets of life because some people they are very impulsive. Yeah, they do stuff and they don't think about the consequences. Absolutely. Or if they suffer the consequences, they don't go back and reevaluate. What could I have done to not have the situation right. happen? To later? not try to make this to try to have the ability to not make the same mistake over and over again. Right. So it definitely teaches you how to how to take a step back and analyze the, the situation and try to take a different, more positive approach this, right. the next time around. And then also, I also feel it mentally it prepares you for a lot of different things. A lot of mental training goes into it as well. Um, for me, I always bring it up to you because you and I talk quite a bit. Right. I talk to a lot of my closest friends about how with my son Zachary, you know, other people may have lost their bearings early. Um, he had to look up to me as how is it he's able to keep calm under adverse right, conditions right and then zachary himself going through chemotherapy pretty much said you know what i just want to be done with it i'm not gonna let it bother me mentally if it bothers me physically i know i can get through this yeah um do you see that as also being a way to channel energy into your everyday life definitely and it allows you to um you know as instructors in jujitsu 
we talk about putting on that business suit and, and you know like you did with Zach you were basically putting on that business suit putting on that armor uh, to stay positive for him it's just like if I come into a class when I'm not feeling well and uh, you know maybe I have no energy that day I'm right. sick whatever it may be uh, Professor Allen would say you got to put on your business suit and you have to uh, give good energy back to the class because you're gonna give the the same energy you're gonna get the same energy back that you give mm -hmm. so if you're giving negative energy to the students they can't help but pick up on that uh, but if you have a positive approach you, you tend to bring everybody up to the same level and I I talk about it in class about how you should try to look the way you want to feel you know, it's physically, physiologically proven that if you smile, it releases different endorphins and hormones and things that, that make you feel better. Sure. If you frown, it has an adverse effect. So you definitely have to take that and apply it to your life and try to be, uh, be the way you want to feel. Sure. You know, act the way you want to feel. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And these are all things we can take and glean from jiu-jitsu and, and apply to our lives. Sounds like Ben Affleck in Boiler Room. Act yeah. as if. Yeah, yeah. Act as if. Um, so we, we talked about you know the beginning of the business and how you saved up to make sure you weren't in this negative cash flow. Right. Um, what other pieces of advice can you give to someone who's thinking about going out on their own? I would just say that you should be patient. You know, take your time. Don't jump into it without first asking yourself, am I willing to Put in the work mm -hmm. and then have the realization that it's going to be way harder than what you think it's going to be when i was first running my academy i was in here seven days a week i was in here at least 14 15 hours a day and i did that for the first several years until some of my guys had an intervention on me and basically said hey you're overworking yourself you're getting you're getting a little uh anxious and mm -hmm. snapping at people here and there let us help you sure uh, it's going to be a lot more work than you think it is. I always tell people, think about, imagine how much work you think it's gonna be and multiply that by 10. And it might even be more than that. Um, and be patient, don't rush into things sure. until everything is, is, is set up and laid out and you have a plan of how to approach whatever it is that your goal is. Um, everybody sees the top of the iceberg, they always see the part that's above water. They don't see all the things that goes into having that success and, and, and achieving uh, the pinnacle of whatever area you're in. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to ask yourself all those questions. Am I willing to put in the work? Am I willing to be patient enough to do this the right way? Because it's not as simple as far as jiu-jitsu goes uh, as just having the mats, having somebody teach class, have a location. There's so much more that goes into it. Just like photography, videography, anything like this, it's more than just buying the equipment mm -hmm. and having that available to you. Uh, so if you can answer yes to those questions about being patient, taking your time and putting in all that hard work, and then you also have a, a positive support system at home, mm -hmm. um, the people who you really value in your life are supporting you and helping you. If you can, if you can have that, you can achieve anything. And speaking of having support, um, one of the things that I've been kind of working towards, um, a couple years, I'm gonna be 50 years old, and though I've had a really good,
prosperous career in IT, information technology, and I've worked for some really good companies. I don't want to work for anybody else. Right. Um, all my friends who are the most happiest all seem to be self-made, or yeah. they all seem to have their own business going, and they're really successful. And you talk about your mentors. I, you know, have my mentors both in person and those I try to seek out online to learn from what their mistakes were and right. what they've done to be where they're at today. Uh, one of the guys in particular, his name's Peter McKinnon, um, he's from Toronto. Um, he made a comment that he got fired from his job because he wasn't very enthusiastic about mm -hmm. working to fulfill someone else's dreams. Right. But he wanted, he got fired because he wanted to start fulfilling his own. Yes. So then his biggest concern was, I have, I'm getting married, or my wife's expecting a child, we're buying a house. Right. It's at the worst, worst time. And he says, you never learn to hustle faster until you're put in a situation yeah, that pressure, where you have right? to hustle. Yeah. But he said he would not change anything. Yeah. And so luckily for me, I've got my wife who supports what I'm doing. My kids are older, so they understand what's going on. They understand that we're going to probably face some hardship. Exactly. But they all know what the end goal is going to be. Yes. And that's going to be being successful on my own terms. And that's a great goal. And I would just say that you have to have a plan in order to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to have something written down that literally maps out the next two years and breaks it into manageable sections that you can take action on. You know, you could have what you want to achieve over the next month, the next six months, the next year, year and a half, and then boom, you're at your two year point. But you can't just have the words on paper or the thoughts in your head. You have to be taking action on those things. Right. Um, knowledge is only power if you use it and all having goals and all that's great but if you're not actually taking steps towards those goals no matter how small they are then you're going to have trouble hitting that mark so if you can go into it with that support from your family and you're able to execute the the goals you're setting for yourself the short and the long term i have no doubt that you'll achieve what you're trying to accomplish and in regards to uh your support system um, who do you want to give thanks or shout outs to I'd like to give thanks and a shout out to my beautiful wife Amy um, my parents all of my mentors um, of course as I mentioned before Alan Moeller Jeeva Santana mm -hmm. uh, Paul Greystone from the karate school I don't know if you'll see this but um, all of those people have had a great impact and influence in my life and have contributed to my success and of course I can't forget to mention my good family, my great friends over at Show Your Roll in Albino and Preto. Uh, phenomenal people that have supported me for many years. Um, win, lose, adversity, whatever, they've always had my back and I'm forever grateful for that. And where can people find you online? So they can find me at james300foster.com. So that's james300foster.com. They can go to fosterbjj.com for the information about the academy and the classes that we have here. Um, and on all the social media, it's either slash Foster Jiu Jitsu or slash James 300 Foster on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't have MySpace anymore. I don't, I don't, even, know, I don't even know if they're around, but you probably look up my old MySpace on there somewhere too if you, if you look hard enough. <laughs> Well, well, thank you for being my first guest. I'm honored. Mike. Much appreciated. Thank it. you, brother. And uh, thanks, everybody, for checking it out. And we'll talk to you soon.